Hi, this is Brent White, and welcome back to my podcast. I preach the following message entitled New Year's Resolution Number Four Save or Make Money from Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 to 13, and Matthew 13, verses 44 to 46. And no, this sermon really isn't about saving and making money, but it is about treasure where your treasure is. I'll read the scripture now. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls who, on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty, hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And then the second place is going to be in Matthew chapter 13 verses 44 through 46. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thank you, Josh. So there's a pastor I follow on Twitter named Derek Rishmawi. He also writes for Christianity Today magazine. He's Presbyterian, but I'm... I think he's saved. And I don't, know, I don't know exactly what was happening in the news on February 7th at 1025 when he posted this, but I suspect that there was something bad going on, that many people on Twitter were upset about it or complaining about it or worried about it. There, they, there are always lots of people on Twitter upset and complaining and worried. But he tweeted this, wow. I just checked, and it turns out it's another excellent day to praise the Lord. The hits just keep coming. I like that. Indeed, Paul himself writes just a couple or three sentences before today's scripture begins in verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. This means, according to Paul, there are always, at every moment, reasons for us to experience joy. No matter what's happening in our lives or in our world. In fact, the the two scriptures that Josh read a moment ago 
describe a kind of joy that is unshakable, invincible, bulletproof. There is no kryptonite that can weaken or destroy it or defeat it or cause it to fail. It doesn't depend on circumstances. And if we have this kind of joy, it means that no matter what's going on in our lives, in our world, no matter what has upset the Twitterverse, we have access to joy, to contentment, to satisfaction. Listen, as Paul writes these words, no one, literally no one could accuse Paul of being some kind of Pollyanna, some kind of naive, wide-eyed innocent when it comes to living in the real world. Paul had experienced evil up close and personal. He had suffered physically as few others have, at least on this side of the cross of Christ. For example, just glance when you get a moment at 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Paul was imprisoned multiple times, beaten and whipped countless times, near death. Uh, he... Uh, he was stoned as a means of execution and left for dead. He had been shipwrecked three times. He had been lost at sea for a day and a night on different occasions, naked, hungry, thirsty, sleep, sleepless, and in constant danger. And at the end of the book of Acts, we learn that Paul is under house arrest in Rome. We know from history that he would go on to be executed beheaded by the Romans on account of his Christian faith. In fact, he wrote the letter to Philippians while he was under house arrest in prison, which meant that he had a Roman guard chained to him 24 hours a day, seven days a week. No privacy, not even to use the bathroom it was humiliating, to say the least. Yet, somehow, Paul could say, Rejoice in the Lord always again, I will say, rejoice. How is it possible to experience joy in the face of all that? Well, let's find out. Look at verse 10 in your Bibles. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. Well, now, how exactly did the church at Philippi revive their concern for Paul? Well, they sent a man from the church named Epaphroditus. They sent him a long distance to visit Paul and to give Paul the gift of what probably was a, a very abundant love offering from the church. It was probably a lot of money because otherwise it wouldn't have been worth sending Epaphroditus this lengthy distance from Greece to Rome. So why did Paul in prison need money? That doesn't make sense to us modern day people. Well, back then, you were, if you were in prison, you were responsible or your family or your friends were responsible for feeding you and providing for all of your you know, provisions and things. The government didn't pay for that. You were on your own. Paul writes, 
You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity, by which he meant an opportunity to show their concern. Um, This was the first time they were able to help him while he was in this prison. He doesn't want them to feel guilty about it. He understands that it wasn't for lack of concern or love. But now we get to the the, the heart of this scripture in verse 11. Not that I am speaking of being in need. In other words, he says, not that I'm complaining for a moment about the circumstances in which I find myself. Well, why isn't he complaining? Doesn't he have a lot to complain about? Um, He says, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. In whatever situation, somehow, Paul can be content? Wait, you mean without feeling the need to complain, without feeling the need to grumble, without being filled with resentment? After all, here Paul is, near the end of his life, languishing in prison, or, it's, or so it appeared. He's a missionary after all, the greatest missionary the world has ever seen, the resurrected Lord Jesus appeared to Paul, remember, on the road to Damascus in Acts chapter 9, and he called Paul to be a missionary to the Gentiles and to bring the gospel to, to the Roman world, to, to, as, all over the Mediterranean. That was what he was called to do. And he, now he can no longer do this thing that he was called to do, um, or so it seemed, because his freedom had been taken away permanently, forever, through no fault of his own. It's unfair. Paul did nothing wrong. In fact, he did everything right. How easily, how easily Paul could have fallen victim to self-pity, to despair, to a, a sense of hopelessness, to anger. To say the least, Paul may not feel like Rejoicing in the Lord always. What about you? When it seems like circumstances are conspiring against you. I shared this in my college Bible study um, on Thursday. But uh, years ago, I read a great book. It's called um, Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl. Frankl was a psychiatrist in Germany in the 1930s. He was also Jewish, and so he was arrested and sent to a few concentration camps, including Auschwitz and Dachau. And his camp was liberated shortly before the the end of the war, and he survived, and he had a good long career. Um, He contributed a lot to the field of psychology. To say the least, Frankl had seen some of the worst evil that humanity was capable of up close. And he suffered greatly because of it. And he watched people he loved suffer. And his wife, who was sent to a different concentration camp, was killed uh, during that experience. Yet, Yet, get this, even after experiencing and witnessing some of the worst evil the world has ever seen, the main argument in his book is this. No matter what circumstances 
you find yourself in, no matter what you're facing in life, no matter what pain you're enduring, you're always given a choice. Each instance of suffering, he said, will do one of two things. It will either crush your spirits, making you bitter and mean, harming or destroying your soul, or it will provide you an opportunity to grow spiritually. The choice, this is hard, but he said, the choice is yours. I have a friend who holds a PhD from Emory, and uh, he's a psychology professor at a university near Atlanta. He agrees with Frankel. He puts it like this. Everyone experiences pain. It's unavoidable. But suffering is a choice. And by suffering, he means experiencing the kind of pain that crushes our spirits and harms our souls. When Paul writes... I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I believe that he would agree with these thinkers. But because Paul also believes in God's sovereignty, he has infinitely greater reasons for hope. And so do the rest of us Christians. Let me, let me show you just one example in Philippians that demonstrates the way that God's sovereignty gives us hope even in the midst of our pain. If you have your Bibles, and you should, look with me at Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 and 13. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. I said earlier that Paul's imprisonment seemed to be preventing him from fulfilling the mission that the Lord had given him. It seemed to be a major setback in his life and vocation, indeed a fatal one, because Paul couldn't do what he was called to do. That's likely what some of his brothers and sisters in the church at Philippi feared. But Paul reassures them, no. In fact, Paul says, he's able to preach the gospel to the very Roman soldiers who are chained to him for those 24 hours, seven days a week. Imagine being handcuffed to the greatest gospel preacher the world has ever seen. <laughs> These elite imperial guardsmen, soldiers who reported to, the, to Caesar himself, were getting saved as a result of Paul's witness because he was in prison. So you get the picture. Now, turn back to Philippians chapter 4 to the very end of the letter, verses 21 and 22. Listen to these words. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. Hold on, did you catch that? There are saints now in Caesar's household? Somehow there are influential people on the inside of the household of the most powerful man in the world who are now Christians. How did that happen? Well... <clears throat> 
we connect the dots between chapter 1 and chapter 4. It happened because Paul was chained to Roman soldiers who got saved through his witness. And these same soldiers who reported to Nero Caesar went and witnessed to people in close proximity and contact with Caesar himself. And these people got saved. Do you see how unbelievable this is? Nero Caesar, who is very shortly going to put Paul to death in order to prevent this dangerous, subversive gospel message about a crucified and resurrected Savior named Jesus from spreading any further, now has followers of this same Jesus working alongside him, and this only happened because he tried to rid his empire of the gospel message. By arresting Paul, Nero thinks he can keep Christianity from spreading out there around the empire, when in fact, because he arrested Paul, he can't even keep it from spreading inside his own house, among people who are closest to him. Who's in charge here? Caesar? What a joke. God is in charge. That is some impressive work on God's part. You have to admit. Good job, Lord. I mean, it's funny when you think about it. This is why Paul can say that what looks to all the world like an apparent defeat for him is actually a great victory in disguise. And if, and if that's true, brothers and sisters, if it's true for Paul, it's no less true for us present-day Christians. God isn't any less involved and active in transforming our setbacks, our failures, our sins, our disappointments, our defeats, into victory. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. More than conquerors. More than conquerors. If you feel like you're losing right now, if you feel like you're defeated right now, if you feel like you're helpless right now, if you feel like you're a victim of circumstances beyond your control, you just wait. Just hang in there. Someone who loves you, who's on your side, who has all the power in the universe at his disposal is in your corner. Who do you think's in charge here? There may be a thousand reasons God is allowing you to go through whatever it is you're going through. Maybe you only see one or two. Maybe you don't see any good reasons, but hang in there and keep on believing and keep on praying because God's reasons are good. And as with Paul, God is working on some victories in disguise right now for you. And you keep hanging in there. And you keep praying. You keep believing. You keep trusting. And God is going to give you the victory. Do you believe it? Yeah. So God's sovereignty is, is one part of the secret that Paul describes in verse 12. In which Paul says, he's learned in whatever situation I am. To be content. Now that's objective. This is what God is doing. 
whether or not Paul or the rest of us see it. But that's just one part of the secret. There's one more part I want to talk about. Let's look at verse 12. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I confess that for 36 years of reading this verse, I never really paid attention to the words plenty and abundance because I thought to myself, why on earth do I need to know the secret of contentment when it comes to having plenty and abundance? Plenty and abundance are great. Just give me those things, Lord. And I have no need to be let in on any secret about how to be content. You just give me abundance and plenty and I'll be content. Trust me. And maybe you're like me. If so, we feel this way because at least a small part of us secretly believes that having plenty and having abundance are actually better than having Jesus, or at least just as good. I mean, Jesus is a fine consolation prize when you're down on your luck and you have literally nothing else. But for the rest of us who live in this affluent culture of plenty and abundance, we like having both. <laughs> I mean, by all means, I want Jesus to save me from my sins and give me eternal life, you know, when I die. But I want other things right now. We read these words of Paul and breathe a sigh of relief that we've never faced, probably, hunger and real big need. We read these words and we, we, sent, we have a sigh of relief as if contentment in Christ and the sufficiency of Christ are what we, what we have to settle for when we don't get the things we really want. But if Paul's words are true, finding contentment in Christ is just as hard when we have plenty and abundance as it is when we have hunger and need. Otherwise, there's no secret to learn. To put it another way, if we wonder how contentment is possible under circumstances of hunger and need, we should also wonder how contentment is possible uh, under the circumstances in which we usually find ourselves, circumstances of plenty and abundance. Because Paul doesn't imply that one is easier than the other. And it's not easier. Haven't we all learned, for example, that the more stuff we get, the more stuff we want. And the more worried and anxious we are about all the stuff that we have. No, the secret to contentment in either case, whether our earthly treasury is full and overflowing or whether it's empty, the secret is the same. It is this, finding our real treasure in one place only, in Jesus Christ, in his kingdom, and in the things that belong to him. This is the meaning of those two short parables from Matthew 13 that Josh read. See, when Paul found Jesus, he was like that plowman 
who found the treasure buried in the field. What does Jesus say? Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. First, Paul found joy. And then in his joy, he sold everything he had to buy the field. Notice in both parables, there wasn't even a sacrifice. Jesus was totally worth it. Getting Jesus was totally worth it. Jesus is a bargain at any price. That's how Paul felt. Because what does he say? We, we looked at this a couple of weeks ago. What does he say in Philippians 3.8? I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Have you found Christ to be your treasure? That's what we're going to be focusing on in this year ahead. Remember that that motto that I came up with? It was well received by everybody, and it's going to be our motto. In fact, we have a brand new website, and on the website we have the motto right below our church name, and it is, yeah, there it is, (laughs) treasuring Christ above all and helping others do the same. I like this so much because it reminds us that we ourselves are learning to treasure Christ. It's a learning process. Paul learned the secret of contentment. It didn't just like fall down out of the sky and he was instantly changed. He learned it, but we are learning this secret. We are learning to treasure Christ in this year ahead, even as we make it our mission as a church to help others in this community and around the world to do the very same thing. Does that sound okay? Is that something we can do? If so, say amen. Thanks for listening. If you're in the Tacoa, Georgia area on Sunday morning, I wanna invite you to come and worship with us at Tacoa First United Methodist Church. We have two worship services, one a contemporary service at 8.30 and a more traditional service at 11. Hope to see you there.